Ozone. Welcome to the Ozone Podcast, featuring Jaguars.com senior writer John Osher and Jaguars executive producer Dave DeCandis. Dave, I guess the big news this week is that the schedule has come out, the NFL schedule has come out, and while we don't really know eventually what that's going to entail, how it's going to actually come off, how things are going to look, uh, it does give you some excitement because it's a football feel. It feels like it's coming back. And uh, whatever happens, the NFL is planning on this. I think the important thing is you've got to get a schedule and you've got to have a plan for if the plan doesn't happen. If you're going to have contingencies, then you have to have a plan to have contingencies off of. But everything I hear is that the NFL believes that this is what they're doing. And uh, so I think that's exciting. I think it's fun. And I still would be surprised if it doesn't come off the way they plan. So I'm going to plan as, as if that's what's happening. So uh, I assume that that's how most people are looking at this. Yeah, I think so. It's kind of how I, I looked at it. It's kind of uh, it gives you a little hope, I guess, that uh, some normalcy is going to return. the big thing. It, yeah. At, yeah. At some point. And the other thing for me when the schedule comes out, I like to look to where we're traveling, and sure. and I also like to look to know when the bye week, so I can tell my wife and my family, hey, I'll be home this week- weekend, so right. which, which they get to look forward to that, which is good, and uh, you know, then this, you know, going back and forth with one of our producers, uh, another one of our producers, Patrick Cavanaugh, which you've heard his name before, uh, last night about the schedule, and it's just kind of interesting. There's some good things like we're only on the road for two weekends in a row one time which is a big change right. for the Jaguars uh the bye week's pretty much in the middle you know the other big thing that jumped out to me was for me personally because this is what this is about is there's a couple cold potential cold weather games there on the schedule which you John gets to sit in the nice right. climate controlled press box with all the food he could want while I'm on the field shooting video of the game in the elements. So John doesn't care about the, John, you don't care about the, uh, the weather aspect of it as much as I do, but uh, I haven't covered a cold weather game in about uh, 30 years. Dave. Yeah. So a mid November <laughs> game in green Bay is, uh, is a little off putting for me, but we'll, we'll survive. I doubt that'll be that bad. Uh, but I don't have to deal with it. But the good news is, We'll be in the same elements in Minnesota because I'm inside and you're inside. Yeah, so that's good. You want to get to the interview? All right, Dave. So without further ado, and there's been some ado in this segment, we're going to introduce our interview this week. It's a good friend of mine, a longtime NFL writer, Michael Silver, who is now with the NFL Network, but many longtime fans know him through Yahoo, first through Sports Illustrated, where he was one of the best writers of the NFL that I've ever been around. And uh, you know, now talks it, writes it in this quarantine. He's doing it virtually like all of us. Welcome in, Michael Silver, and I appreciate you doing this. Thank you, John. I did have facial hair, and unfortunately, it was my wife's birthday, so I, I it could not survive uh, that. She was not a huge fan, but uh, yeah, I, res- I respect your uh, your look. <laughs> it's it's very it's very impressive. Well, I'm not sure how much my wife is going to last through it, but uh, we'll see. And, and I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you, Michael. Um, we talked a little bit about before we came on the quarantine in your job. 
I think people are fascinated because they see what they see behind you. They see when you're doing your spots. But how has this changed what you do? How has it changed how NFL Network covers the NFL, maybe? Well, you know, it's interesting. This would be a time of year where, uh, you know, other than the pre-draft and draft stuff where, you know, it's, it's relatively lighter for us. Um, and I do spend a lot of time at home during those times anyway. Uh, so in some ways it hasn't been crazy different. I do have a home camera. There's a, a team cam just like you guys have at, at the Jaguars facility. We are not totally operational because of the, the California guidelines and the fact that our, our facility in, in L.A., is uh is not open right now so we're kind of working around and getting some stuff on the air sometimes we have to use the the headphone i actually use the bose headphone for that of course but uh and and you saw in the draft telecast that was largely an espn joint production es but espn centric because the connecticut guidelines are different and their building is is more operational so um but but honestly you know i mean you know a lot of what i do is being around people, trying to break bread with people, getting people in relaxed context. So certainly that is, you know, is different for me. But um, this time of year, laying low, it really hasn't been a huge adjustment for me. It's really more watching, uh, you know, how it's affecting people in my family. Uh, you know, you and I were talking, we sure. had our, our first child around the same time. I have a kid who just is just out of college recently, a kid who's in college and a high school senior. And, you know, and that one's particularly hard to watch with all the, yeah. you know, with what's been lost. And, and we know it's way bigger than us. And, and obviously we have it really, really good compared to, to most, but uh, you know, I honestly just try not to drive my kids crazy. Watch my <laughs> wife who's a clinical psychologist. She's able to do a lot of, of video therapy from home. Um, so it's really more, uh, that's been the, the bigger adjustment than my actual job so far. Now, it's funny you mentioned earlier that so much of your job, and I've been around you when you're working, and you're very good at getting to know NFL people, getting them comfortable as part of the job as a reporter. And yet on Twitter, you're the king of the block. Uh, tell me how that is true. It's obviously part of your shtick and part of your brand, but some people won't block, and you have no problem with it. Oh, I'm, I mean, the only reason I wouldn't block is if I decided to mute instead, which, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 tr I tried to explain it one time on Twitter. So I said something like, I'll block you if uh, you're disrespectful or, or whatever, and there's no reason to ever have a conversation with you. I'll mute you if I'm going to become completely annoyed by, you know, like <laughs> muting it to me is more like, this is not going to end well. Right. They're just going to get blocked. I, I just, I, I'm just exhausted. And if they don't know, and I don't know, it's probably better. So, you know, for me, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I, I come from an era where, you know, what I write and the content I provide is my source of revenue. And uh, no, there's no printing press anymore, but I still feel like, you know, I work for a company, uh, NFL media that is, paying me to do those things. No one's paying me to be on Twitter. I, I, I'm happy to self-promote on it. And, and honestly, I'm happy to use it as a diversion. What used to be writing a paragraph and then getting up and shooting Nerf hoops might be, you know, screwing around uh, with my mentions or maybe if I'm stuck in a, a line somewhere uh, at the airport, you know, I use it for those purposes. But um, I just never, you know, I, I, I'm not like a uh, – 
I'm not tweeting for anyone else other than myself. A lot of times I'm trying not to bore, my, to bore myself. Um, I tend to be over the top in general and like people who take me literally, it's kind of like, you know, Greg Williams. I, I think when people take me literally, it's usually not good. And um, <laughs> I, I just, uh, what really started was I just couldn't understand the people questioning journalistic integrity as though it were a acceptable or normal thing. Cause uh, you know, you, you understand right. this. It's like, we take that so, so seriously. And then I'd be like on Twitter be like, well, you just made that up. I'd be like, huh? You know, right. like, you, you right. don't understand what you're, what you're saying to me. And, and I'm not the just years of about, experience and work at it is totally and, and, the, and how much we care and how, how much we would hate ourselves and each other if we ever felt that one of us ever did anything to violate, right. you know, those principles we hold dear. And so, you know, and this is not just, I, I want to distinguish it from what one, one thing I loved about Twitter is one follower I stole from her, uh, the term fansplaining. Uh, and, right. and that's right. fansplaining. That's different. It's like uh, people explaining to you, like it's someone telling you, John, on Twitter, more about what the Jaguars were thinking right. when they drafted uh, C.J. Henderson, as though because they've seen things on the internet or you know on TV or read something somewhere that they would know as much as you. It would be. It's. I. I mean, it's disrespectful in that we talk to players, coaches, owners, and scouts, and those people all the time, and so of course we know more and. It's also weird. It's like if I went to the dentist and he was like, well, what's bothering you? I said, well, there's this, you know, it really hurts up here. And they went in and he said, okay, well, what you're going to need is a root canal because that's, and I was like, come on, everyone knows that's just a filling, you know, like, I, I mean, we, we do have like some degree of expertise. So I'm not, Why I'm not you don't believe anything. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'll just clown those people. I'm talking about, blatant questioning of my journalistic integrity and that could be anything from you know your uh i actually have a great story about this though but you know you have it out for my team but but like in an insidious way like you're trying to take down my team or you made that up or you know, i i i just i i don't have to stand for it i won't stand for it and i i right. i'm sorry i'm sorry if people don't understand it but really what's the penalty i mean it's I mean, in real life, it'd be like killing someone, but you can't do that, of course, in a civilized <laughs> society. But I can kind of kill you on Twitter. You'll never see what <laughs> I ever tweet again. I mean, but like, right. really, like, get over. My bio literally says unfollow me. Like, it can't be that important. But I do have one great story because back at Yahoo, I used to do picks. And, right. um, you know, to me, picks are amusing. And I obviously don't, if I was that good at it, I could just move to Vegas and, you know, make money, I guess, but I, I'm not, you know, but I've done, I did well, not against the spread usually at Yahoo. Like I, I, you know, try to beat up Jason Cole or Charles right. Rock, Les Carpenter, you know, we're just goofing around having fun. And I, but people would take the picks as a, you know, as a referendum on what I wanted to happen, which is weird and a sign that I was against your team, yeah. which by the way, other signs that I was against your team was I didn't rank them high enough in my rankings or I reported something true that you didn't like, or I expressed an opinion about something that happened there that you didn't like. All of those are clear 
evidence that I have it out. And that's only the top four. Right. And those are only the top four. But but I the picks were all, you know, the picks were weird to me because it's like people are seeking affirmation. And listen, I'm a I'm a I'm a crappy fan, just like every other fan. I mean it's redundant. I know I'm a Cal fan and you know we we there's a lot of heartbreak and we haven't been to the Rose Bowl in my lifetime and I'm horrible just like every fan. But I do think there's some distinctions in that I don't want affirmation. I don't care who you pick to win. But so these fans really want affirmation. And and I used to do email replies still at Yahoo because Twitter hadn't really taken over totally. Right. And, and I had a lot of fun with it. And um, somebody, a Jaguars fan, told me how I had it out for the Jags and, you know, was very, very sure that I – thought the Jags were trash and they had made this nice renaissance late in the season. I think it was in the Del, Del Rio years and sure. might've been the, might've been the, I don't think it was the year they snuck into the playoffs with Garrard, but it was a year where they had a pretty good run late in the season and were winning some games. And so the, the fan actually said in the email, like I think the second reply, you've picked against us every single game. And it was like, it was like mid December. And I laughed. And then I, like a couple hours later, I was like, well, we do have a graphic. Like I could go back and go week to week and actually see my picks. And there's no way that I picked against them every single week. I mean, that's crazy. And I went and I started looking. And I'm like, oh, my God. And literally, <laughs> the fan was right. I had picked against them. You do the hate Jags. the Jags. <laughs> I had picked against them 15 times in a row. Well, I'm stubborn, you know. I And – and I was like, oh, my God. So, of course, what happened? I picked, I picked them to win the last two games, and they lost both. And so, I, I you know, but, but uh, so, yeah, maybe sub, subconsciously, maybe I do, you know, have it out for someone's team. Yes. We will definitely hit on the story, which was outstanding out of draft weekend. I wanted to ask you one more thing. Obviously, we've gone through your history a little bit. California guys started out at, at uh, newspapers in California, Sports Illustrated, then Yahoo. Um, What's always intriguing to me is uh, you worked at SI in an era that's completely different than now, meaning when you wrote a story for SI and it was on the cover, that thing mattered, and it mattered. There's probably not anything that has a reach like that anymore. Um, I always remember the Broncos story in 99 as sort of the story. We're we're finished? Yeah. Was (laughs) that the one that stands out as having the most impact, reaction, or – just tell me which one, aside from Rodman, which is a different issue. I was going to say that one up there, the Rodman one. Is, yeah. Uh, um, you, you know, th- that was up there. Um, the Rodman one, I had gotten to SI in 94, and Rodman in 95 was getting super weird. Yeah. Starting to, to really feel comfortable. And he was on the Spurs, and they sent me to L.A. as he was about to close out a series against the Lakers. And I went on a four-day, all-night, three-state, drunken odyssey with him and uh wrote in real time at his house while all night while exotic birds chirped and he and a stripper in the next room made other noises writer meeting subject and it all making sense it was really (laughs) it was fortuitous but um yeah so there that was there um uh the bronco story was one of those and and it's interesting there was a back-to-back in 1999 and the the second part of the back-to-back i'll get to that was uh kurt warner which is up on my wall yep. uh out of yep. nowhere the out of nowhere sensation early in the season for the rams so i had um i had 
known Mike Shanahan since I was covering the 49ers daily in 1992 when he became the offensive coordinator. Um, I covered, he gave me incredible access in 96 when they ended up having the league's best record and lost the, uh, yeah. the first round playoff game to Mark Brunel and that, that great Jags team that, that reached the conference championship game. Um, and um, he let me actually twice that year because they lost the first time, so we couldn't run it, but twice gave me all access for a week and team play and everything was awesome. And, uh, and then in 97, 98, they won Super Bowls. Um, and uh, 99, um, Elway retired and they tried to make Bubby Brister the guy with young Brian yeah. Greasy waiting in the wings. And um, it was going real bad and they were 0-3. And, 3, and I, I went out there. And usually when I showed up in your town for Sports Illustrated and your team with high expectations was 0-3, it wasn't a lot of subtlety about what I was there for. I wasn't there to... <laughs> To celebrate. Um, and uh, I knew a lot of guys on that team. I got incredible access before the game, kind of got the lay of the land. Um, they not only lost and yanked Bubby Brister for Brian Greasy, but their best player, Terrell Davis, future Hall of Famer, blew out yeah. his knee, tur- turned out to be a career-altering injury, and, uh, you know, blew out his knee, was done for the year. Um, and so now they're 0-4, and they just lost their best player and benched the quarterback. and. Um, Starting in the locker room, I started to get players coming up to me going, oh, TD's done, we're done, it's over. And right. I, knew him, I knew him really well, and obviously it was heat of the moment, and they were upset, but, um, you know, I understood what they were saying. And a couple of players invited me out to a place called the Chop House, and now we're drinking beers, and, you know, it's post-game, and there's a lot of players there, probably about 20, and... Now it's gallows humor. Now people, a guy takes a fork and says, "Right, stick this in me, we're done. And then another guy points to the beer tanks because it was a brewery and said, uh, see that tank? I'm going in that one right there. And, <laughs> and listen, and, and I recognize that just because I'm out with players, it's not necessarily all fair game. It is a gray area. But, you know, they knew what I did. And I thought I could write that story. And I, I wrote it all night, um, as I did most of my stories. I thought I could write that story. Uh, conveying the gallows humor that yes, this is um, they're saying this, but obviously they're just trying to you know make light of a bad situation, and they're not literally saying they're going to try to lose every game. But you know, I didn't know that the cover, which I didn't control, was going to be a picture of Terrell Davis with a quote that said, "We're finished. The Broncos right. season. The Broncos season is over. Just ask them." I mean, I'm not saying I was mad about it, but I didn't know. And right. uh, I forgot that it was a two-newspaper town, one of the last great two-newspaper towns, competitive yeah. town. A- Adam Schefter and I think Alex Marvez going Alex at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you so know, um, all of a sudden it's Tuesday night, which is when the magazine closed and we would send out the – or Tuesday night's when we'd send out the press releases, usually just to the two cities – in question to their media. And then Wednesday it would go out to the world on the newsstands. And uh, I get a call at home Tuesday night and it's a breathless voice from Denver cable. Can you come on? And I just thought it was another typical Denver radio station. Sure. I'll come on. And I realized about three seconds into the interview, it was a voice call on live television on the evening news at, you know, 10 
10 o'clock Pacific, 11 Mountain to lead the news. And I'm like, oh boy. So yeah, um, yeah it became a, a big, big thing. And, um, you know, I there were some bruised relationships for a while. Um, I, I'll tell you this, I made a point that next training camp, I told my bosses, I, they said, where do you want to go? I said, I want to start in Greeley. I want to start with the Broncos. I want to take my medicine, you know, they're still right. mad. And, you know, I, I believe that there's a real, you know, that's part of the journalistic ethos. You know, you can, you can write, you, I've been a columnist, I've been an opinion guy, I've written before, I've written unpopular things. You got to show up and, yeah. and that's part of it. And um, I said, I want to go to Greeley first. So they said, okay, start in Greeley. So I, I, uh, I landed, uh, at Denver International Airport. I think it was open by then, not stable. Yeah, I landed at DIA yeah. and I, I go to the, uh, the little island with the Hertz, uh, bus. I wait for the Hertz bus. I get on the Hertz bus and it's just me. It's a summer day. It's like a July, you know, day and just me on the bus. And back then you had to tell the driver your name. And, uh, you know, it's just said silver and, uh, he said, okay. And I got on the bus and might've made a little small talk, might not have really talked to him and kind of a, you know, it's like a seven minute ride bus stops at the thing. And, uh, I go to grab my bag and I say, thank you. And he said, Hey, you're welcome. Stay out of the chop house this time. And I'm like, Oh my God. That's so, <laughs> so now I drive, now I drive an hour to Greeley. I get there, you know, all the beat writers and the electronic people want to interview me. Oh my God. You know, silver showed up. I'm like, Rod Smith is literally, uh, uh, putting out a stream of expletives in my direction during practice while lined up on the field and running routes <laughs> is bleep and bleep and bleep and bleep. And, uh, you know, we overcame it. And, uh, but yeah, that, that was a, that was a memorable one. And so what was amazing was the next that came out on Wednesday. Yep. And I think later that day, as all hell was breaking loose in Denver and Adam Schefter was calling the chop calling chop house the chop house manager to try to id which players had been there uh which you know there were a lot of them didn't prove didn't prove who my source was it was ridiculous but as all hell was breaking loose by uh one of my bosses called and said hey we got another story for you this week this guy in st louis kurt warner we never you know we don't even know who he is and he's leading the league in touchdown passes they're three they're four and oh or three and oh like um that was like, oh, good, a happy story. And uh, I called Rick Smith, the PR director, and said, dude, I want to come out on Friday and I want to hang out with Kurt Warner. And he said, well, he doesn't really hang out. He's, right. <laughs> he's got these wife and these two young kids and he's really, really into his faith. And he doesn't really do anything except go to church. And, I, you know, the light bulb went off and I said, go to church? Okay, this is uh, it's going to atone. It's going to cleanse me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I ended up uh, – that was that was also one of the more memorable stories I wrote uh, because it turned you know 1999 turned out to be the season of Kurt Warner and also was the season the Jags went 15 and 0 against the rest of the league yep. and 0 and 3 against the the uh, Titans uh, including the AFC Championship game. Yeah, still a very painful memory for our Jaguars fans. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, yeah, right. I, I can talk there. to you about Sports Illustrated forever, but. Let's talk about the Jags a little bit. Um, you spent some virtual time with Dave Caldwell during the draft. You've spent time with Tony Khan. You spent time with the Khan and Caldwell. Um, 
for fans who maybe don't quite get what the dynamic's all about right now, people thought this bunch was getting fired. They thought it was different. Tell me about your perception of the direction right now and what they're doing. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of what the cons have done. And um, I think like a lot of very well-meaning newer owners, they don't always know what the right thing is. And they've got a million people in their ear, of course, because that's the nature of it. They've been wildly successful in other businesses and their instincts are usually pretty good, I feel like. But the NFL is a, a complicated beast. And, um, you know, and sometimes you do the right thing and the ball gets tipped and you lose and you think it was the wrong thing. Or sometimes you're, you know, everything's going down the right path and a bad call changes things. And it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to separate outcome from process. And right. if, you've never, if you've never done it before, you don't always know. And so, you know, and I think the Pagulas are going through this in, in Buffalo too. And I would even say that, you know, Daniel Snyder, who I would criticize a million times for things, and I think it would be fair, he at least is a guy who he means well in that he cares desperately about winning. And some owners really don't. Um, and so that I know the cons want to win and want to do it the right way. And I know their instincts are good. And I know they've made a lot of decisions for the right reasons. I think like any new owners in the NFL, sometimes that, you know, they make decisions that they think are right, that they later say, okay, maybe they're not. So at the time when they brought in Tom Coughlin, a lot of people were saying you should bring in a football czar, you know, Tom Coughlin's out there. He just won two Super Bowls. He is the reason the Jaguars, you know, got on the map in the first place and uh, you should have a talk with them. And so they brought him in and it felt like the right move and um, drafting Leonard Fournette at the time felt like the right move. Um, the run they went on uh, with a lot of free agents that, you know, in fairness, Dave Caldwell had, had signed, um, you know, felt like the right move and they were 10 points ahead and not that much time to go of, one of the you know greatest players of all time, one of the greatest coaches of all time, and looked like they were going to the Super Bowl. And and as that was all happening, Shad Khan publicly said something to the effect of Tom is the reason. And in retrospect, I think he would have said that's overstated. Uh, right. There were a lot of reasons. And all, obviously, by the time things played out the way they did late last season, I think Shad Khan was essentially saying by his actions, Tom is the reason. Now, will we look back and say that was an overstatement? Will we look back and say, um, you know, it wasn't all Tom Coughlin and, you know, you're, you're, by keeping Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone, you're oversimplifying the, the yeah. downside of that. Um, I don't know. But I, I know that I can understand what their thought process was. And, and honestly, I, I think people may be, and maybe maybe you guys get this, but I think those of us who were looking at this from afar may not have appreciated how important those last few games were when Minshew came back. And beating the Raiders in Oakland was not a small thing. Right. That was a huge, huge, huge game for the Oakland Raiders. They really, really wanted that for their fans and that they were abandoning and it meant a lot to the coach and to the players. And that was a, that was a 
you know, pretty impressive thing for them to do. And then to, to win again, uh, you know, at the end and to have Minshew look good. And, and they clearly but it came could away. Have been quick. It could have been laying down at that point. Yeah, or even just, you know, we weren't good enough. We didn't lay down, but we weren't good enough. And I think that would have probably provoked a different type of, you know, yeah, probably change the coach too and maybe change the GM too and start over. But um, they came out of that thinking, you know what? Maybe we have something to build around here. Um, Dave Caldwell did get us to that point in 2017 where we felt like we were on the verge. Um, we, we can get rid of the players that we think are not, you know, part of the culture we want to establish. We can stockpile draft picks and cap space. And if we hit uh, in the draft and we make some smart moves and Minshew is what we think he is, um, then maybe we'll be better quicker than people think. Yeah. And, and, and Doug has proven something to us too, what we saw in 2017. So that's, yes. I think that's what the, that's what they're thinking, but um, you know, I I think they get now and probably got then, but now they get even more now that even if you're smart and well-meaning and aggressive, you don't always know, and a lot of it sometimes is out of your control, even if you right. do know. So I, I think if anything, they've shown that they're willing to cut their losses and change course, and and they didn't come. The fact that they didn't completely blow it up. Time will tell whether that was the right decision, but I, I, I at least respect the philosophy because gotcha. the, easy, the easiest thing to do always is to blow it up. And I think that's what fans and media people gravitate toward because we get frustrated. I said a couple of more, and you've been more than generous with your time, so I appreciate it. Uh, I know you know the cons well from covering the league. And I think the thing that's always impressed me about them, Michael, is um, their ability to listen to people within the league and their ability to not think that they know everything about the league. Yep. Uh, I haven't been around as many owners as you, but I've been around people who've been around owners. That's not that common a trait among some owners, is it? No. And, and, uh, and I think some owners go too far the other way. I think there are owners who've been known for whoever the last person who got in their ear uh, about something is what they'll usually uh, end up trying to do and that's not healthy either right? right I mean you want to listen and you want to believe in your people and and get input and you want to I know the cons listen to some very very smart people outside the organization and and you know all of that is is great but you also want to have you know you also want to have a sense of who the important voices are and what you right. believe in at your core and um you know I I think they are I, so I would give them credit for both. I think they do listen and they're open to things, but they're also not just like you know completely malleable when somebody says something. I, trust me, I know I've tried to you know <laughs> say things to them, uh, just how I feel, you know, not right. like oh, you not like you should fire your coach. I mean, that's not my business, but you know, I believe that this team that you're saying is such a good model is actually more dysfunctional than you do because of what I think. And I think they've politely kind of said, right. you know, well, I, I see it differently. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I like I, – I, if you give me aggressive trying to win and well-meaning, 
um, I think that goes a long way. I think the rest can be, you know, over time can be, can be groomed. Uh, final question. You spent some time with them virtually during the draft. Um, what is it you saw in what they were doing and studying the team that maybe you like that maybe some fans don't see? Because fans just aren't sure about it. It's been, it's, it's been a tough couple of years. Anything that you saw uh, that you like about their direction? I think Dave, as the chief decision maker the second time around, is more certain. And I, I don't. I think swag is probably the wrong word. And I don't know if you want your GM having swag. You know, like Mike Mayock probably came in with swag, and then all of a sudden he and the the star crazy receiver were yelling at each other. So, but I, I just think um, if you know Dave was a first time GM, and he was obviously um, you know communicating with ownership and trying to build it the right way. And then he got put in a different position when Tom was there, still got to, you know, do a lot of GM things, but, you know, wasn't the buck didn't stop there always. Well, now it does. And he's been given a a second uh, look at that. And I think, you know, he's like, I think he's in a good space. Like I'm not going to be scared. You know, I, I might get fired, probably will. Every GM does eventually, usually. But I'm not going to live in fear of making the wrong choice. I know what I know. I know what I believe in. I think I'm pretty good at this. Um, I like the people I work for. Uh, I have a good relationship with my head coach. And we're going to take a swing at, at building it the way we think and not getting caught up in the noise. And, and, and that is kind of a liberating thing. So, um, I mean, A, the fact just that he had me in there and by in I mean by in I mean literally uh his poor uh selfless wife Joelle was spending a lot of time holding up her phone on the house party app and letting me in that way but just the fact fact that he trusted me to to do that because I've been in war rooms and it's a you know there's a lot of trust and and honestly the big I, I think people who've let me in understand that I'm not looking to burn them after the fact that I'm trying to write as much inside stuff as I can without something that's going to compromise their ability to do business. And you saw that in my story where one of the guys they considered at 20 was still on the board. And so it made sense not to mention him in a story coming out before the second round. It turned out to be Xavier McKinney, the the Alabama defensive back, and they didn't end up taking him and it was fine. But I think people get that. But what's, What's really trustworthy is to say to a journalist, I'm going to give you a sense of what we're trying to do going in. Right. And trust that when all these other GMs and coaches that I know you know, and I know you talk to, and I know you are close with, are hitting you up to see, hey, what are the Jags doing or what do you hear, that you're going to go into a code of silence. And and I know rationally Dave knew that when I told him, I would do that, that, that I'm a man of my word. And he's not one of those people on Twitter questioning my journalistic integrity, but it's still a, a leap of faith to come out and say, Hey, this is what in a perfect world I would, I would look to do this type of thing, or this is a vague sense of, of what we're trying to do here. And so it's a huge leap. It's a huge, it is. And, And I think just the, so just the fact that he did that in the first place, I think tells you that he's, got a comfort zone that, you know, is healthy, I think. And, and secondly, um, I think that, you know, 
there's a little bit of an I'll show you to him, which, you know, you don't want that to be reckless. But I, I think he's – I think he and Tony and Sean and Doug all, you know, are kind of looking forward to that moment where they could say, hey, by the way, we're not, we're not as atrocious as you, you right. guys, you know, me included – expected you to be and and yeah i hope for their sake they get to have a little bit of that i mean first of all i hope we play games and sure. that, that it's it's safe to do so but to the extent that we have a season and if and when that is um i hope they have some moments where we can all because i'll be the first one to say like dude i didn't like i wouldn't wouldn't expect you to actually be good like i get that you're rebuilding and i get that you're you know trying to create a culture and build it back up but i didn't know like you could actually like beat the titans or something you know that would be cool right michael i could do this all day and i know you don't have time to do that but i can't thank you enough i enjoyed this so it turned out to be 45 minutes i look forward to doing it again at some point and i uh, stay safe and uh best to you and yours well it's my pleasure and uh i hope that i can uh once again become an annoyance in the jaguars facility to some of the people you work with and try to push my way into you know out of bounds places instead of doing it virtually but in the meantime uh, I'm stoked that I got to, to be part of the draft I'd like to thank Michael for uh, giving us some of his time uh, as I said I've known Michael for 25 years he was one of the best writers on Sports Illustrated I thought but I thought what was interesting about what he talked about with us Dave was the Broncos story was always fascinating to me because I, I distinctly remember that story the Jaguars were good and the Broncos were the team that everybody was watching to see if they were going to maintain that year. And they went off the rails. And you knew they weren't going to be very good when Terrell Davis got hurt. It was, it was happening like that. Elway was gone. But that story came out, and it just had a different feel in terms of he was at dinner with these players. He got them talking off the record a little bit, saying really brutal things about their season. And you just knew there was going to be fallout. So that was interesting at a time where SI had that sort of impact. And I liked hearing what he had to say about the cons. I think people forget that they've really only owned this team for what in NFL terms is a short period of time. And I've always talked to different people who have talked to the cons. I know the conversation I've had with the cons is one thing because I went the team. But in talking to national people who know a lot of different owners, they are very willing to listen and they are very willing to try to learn what it takes to win in this league. That can take some time when you're coming in new. And I've always believed, and Dave, you and I have talked about it. We know Tony. He's closer to our age, closer to your age. I'm older than Tony. But I've gotten to know him through different things, seeing him at combines, seeing him around the office. And I just truly believe that as, as Tony grows into the overall ownership role and that's the thing that takes time over an arch that the time that he has put in learning the league listening to people getting to know people around the league learning the ins and outs of it uh how equipment works how personnel works how this works a lot of owners never see the nuts and bolts of a franchise the way tony khan has and I think as time goes on, that's going to serve this franchise very well. That's just my little soapbox about that. But I've always believed that since I've seen him get into the league, it's impressive the, the effort and the granular knowledge that he's developing on a lot of different fronts. I think it's going to be cool to watch him mature as an owner. Yeah, and going back actually kind of change gears a little bit is with the Broncos article with Mike Silver. 
So that came out. I remember when that came out, I remember reading that article and I was like probably 14 or 15 at the time. So I was in like super sports illustrated sports mode where I couldn't think enough. I just, it was so cool for me to hear kind of the, the background behind it and how it all happened and him just being around yeah. the team where the guys got comfortable. It's just kind of interesting where uh, it almost feels like a different era of covering the NFL even back oh, then. Entirely different. Now. So, so it well, was Mike kinda, always took a different approach. Like Mike would come into town and he would go out to eat with a couple of the players and he was always very good at getting to know guys. Teams didn't always love that. I mean, there were certain uh, teams and coaches who weren't really sure about what he was all about. But as you know, you've, you've talked to him at meetings, things like that, along with me. He's very good at that. He's very good at getting to know people, getting people to trust him. And, and it's why he's one of the best. And he's also, I think what people don't quite get anymore, he's a fantastic wordsmith once the words go on the page or online, as it were now. So he knows what to do with the information once he gets it. But, uh, you know, he's very good at, at kind of taking you behind the scenes. And again, I can remember being in the business when that story broke and talking to him about it at the time. And uh, it was one that as much access as he always got, that one was a little bit different and a little bit of a it, it, it was a shocking story at the time. Uh, and you're right. It was cool to hear him uh, tell the tale of it. But my job is to do what, Dave? I answer fan questions. So that's what we'll do now to close out this second edition of the Ozone Podcast. That's what you do, John. Here we go. The Ozone. So this one is from John, and he's from, from Jacksonville. Does anyone believe that Jan won't play for the Jags this season? The franchise has all the power other teams don't want to pay the price, and it would be extremely stupid for Jan to lose many more millions of dollars this season on top of the millions he lost last season. What I think is interesting about this, it's like we're now like at the point of this whole Yannick Ngakwe saga where it's the rubber's going to meet the road here in a, a few short months. It's, what's interesting to me is like, I get the principal, principal guy, and I get not everyone's motivated by money. But after what happened last year and based on what he's potentially going to get paid under the franchise tag this year, you got to, at some point, don't you just have to, to go with it for, for the year and, and make your money while you can? Because you don't have that many years left or years in the NFL to, to make money. You would think. And I pause there because I get it. And I get what everybody's saying about you can't walk away from 17 or 18 million. But he sort of did it last year. And the one thing that, I've always from being around Jan is interesting is he's a hard guy to predict. And I, I don't necessarily know that the logic that we all look at it is, is going to play that much. Maybe he looks at it from a Le'Veon Bell perspective and says, you know what, I'm going to get paid at some point, And by definition, I'm going to save my body and therefore have more earning years. I'm not sure that's the way I would go. But you've been around him a little bit. I like Jan a lot, and I like talking to him, and I've always had a good relationship with him. And we've talked about different things at times, but I don't know that he's a guy who's necessarily going to say, just because everybody else is saying I have to do this means I have to come in and do this. So 
yeah, I think he'll eventually play this season, but it just wouldn't shock me if he does. As someone uh, who's around the team, I hope he's there because I like him. And I actually, uh, and he, he's a great player. And I just hope it gets worked out uh, for not only his sake, but also the team's sake because we could use him in the fall. So. Yeah. And I don't know that he's – I'm with you. I hope for his sake that he works it out and makes the right decision because he's at a key point in his career. He deserves to get paid. And you just hope that he's not hurting himself financially over the long haul. We've got a long way to talk about this day. Because I get the feeling it's going to be a topic for a long time around here. And I, I wish it wasn't because I'm worn out on it. All right, well, that's it for Episode 2 of the Ozone Podcast. I want to thank Michael Silver again for joining us. Thank Joe Fortunato for putting all this together. Thank Dave DeCandis for being Dave. And I, I won't thank me because I don't need thanks. But we appreciate everybody listening and hope it didn't suck. <laughs>